Um, the next announcement is about the upcoming family movie event. And we have a special guest. Good morning. I have a special announcement for each of you. Last week there was some confusion because I held up a little shape and some of you in the back couldn't see, so I thought this would be a little bit more appropriate. Because this upcoming Saturday, we are having a family movie matinee for all of our church family. Kids all the way up to 190. So, all of you are invited. We'd love for you guys to join us. And the movie is called The The Star. So, come join us, everybody, this Saturday here at the well at 2 p.m. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to have some light refreshments and some crafts and our movie. So, we hope that you will join us, and uh, if you guys would like to support this costume, you are welcome to. All right. Thank you. And next we have Diana. Good morning, everybody. Hope you all had a nice Thanksgiving. I'm standing up here with this, we call it an angel tree, and the reason being is that it represents the Angel Tree Ministry, which is sponsored by Prison Fellowship. The purpose of it is to um, give gifts to children of those who are incarcerated. So this tree will be out by the welcome cart this morning. And if you are interested, you can pick an angel. And on the tag, it has the name of a child and the age of it, the child, and also the gift that they desire. Um, at the same time, if you pick a tag, we ask that you sign your name next to the name of the child along with your telephone number so we can get in touch with you if needed. Uh, we ask that the gifts be delivered back by December the 19th so that they can be, be delivered to the child, and it should also be wrapped. So again, we hope you'll participate and give eight children in the Valley a wonderful Christmas. Thank you, Diana. Uh, again, just what a wonderful opportunity to just share, you know, to be giving, and I encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, so the next one has to do with the women's uh, ministry Christmas brunch, and normally it would be my lovely wife who would be making this announcement, but like I said, she's home with a sore throat. So I was trying to think about how to do my best Kathy impression, <laughs> and I decided not to do that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Ernie, I think, kind of clued in, like, don't go there, don't go there, Mark, because <laughs> you know? I got to go home. So, honey, I'm, I'm like, really, I'm not going to do it. So, uh, <laughs> so, but I am going to announce the Christmas brunch. So, ladies, this is for all the ladies um, that uh, there is a brunch. It is on December 11th. It is at 10 a.m. It is here. Lots of wonderful things going to happen. Wonderful food. Ladies, like, do food, like, to die for. So it's going to be a wonderful brunch. There's going to be a very special speaker, Carrie Cheney. She's going to be talking about, um, a. you can actually see the trailer online right now, just a very cool um, Christmas video that um, she and Yarrow produced and have uh, marketed. It's like going mainstream. There's going to be uh, crafts that take place, and uh, you've heard a little bit more about that, and I'm sure you will next week. And there's also going to be a cookie exchange, and that's kind of the focus this week. So this means baking or making or buying or whatever a dozen cookies to come, and then somehow you get to, like, um, take, you know, put them all out, and you go around and you take cookies, and you go home with a dozen cookies if you bring a dozen cookies. 
So we have a little a video that is going to kind of show you a little bit about how this works. Doesn't that look easy? <laughs> that is like I so couldn't do that. But ladies, put on your aprons, bake your cookies, or make your cookies, buy your cookies, and come on December 11th to the, uh, the wonderful brunch. Wonderful song, Lynn. Thank you. I love your heart for the Lord. And, and I was listening to the, the lyrics of that song, and really it's a powerful song about God's love at Calvary, right? And, and Jesus, um, you know, we often say the price he paid on the cross, and, and we saw again last Sunday that it really wouldn't have been possible without the incarnation, without the incarnation, Jesus emptying himself, and I thought today we would uh, read the verses that we focused on last week in Philippians 2, we'll start with verse 5 to 11, and then we're going to uh, just move forward a couple of verses today. So Philippians 2, 5 to 11 says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And last week we spoke about really maybe this season, this Christmas, God will really transform you and, and speak to your heart if you use the word as Mark did, incarnation. And really stop and ponder what that really means, the significance, right? And we, we tried to really look at that in, in, in our finite minds and in, in our limited minds to really try to grasp that incredible supernatural truth. And, and it's challenging. It's challenging. Uh, what is it? Friday, we had an opportunity, uh, myself and a couple of family members, uh, we went down to pick up some things on Black Friday, right? It was the afternoon and, and most of the crowds had gone, but a couple of places were still really busy. Uh, but we did the curbside, right? The curbside, or you go pick it up inside after you order it online. And, and it just reminded me how busy we are. And how really challenging it is, even coming off Thanksgiving, right? And, and all the preparations, and we try to really hard to be thankful. And, and yet, you know, it, it can be such a rush and such, we're just like this all the way through. And, and being out there in Black Friday and, and trying to think through, okay, incarnation and Christmas and knowing it was Advent, I'm like, how do we do this? How do, how do we possibly slow down long enough to, to let these incredible truths you know, go from here to here, especially when there are carols and the decorations are up and it gets very traditional, right? Even it's, it's, it's not just the busyness, I think, of Christmas, it's the traditions, 
And, you know, and, and sometimes when we're around traditions, we kind of check out a little bit because it's something we grew up with, right? Oh, yeah, Jesus, manger, animals, right? Joseph, Mary, right? And, and it just becomes, that's great for the kids, right? And so it really takes a conscious choice and some, some, some commitment at the adult level, I would even say, to sit down and say, wait, Lord, what is incarnation, what are the implications of incarnation? How do, I, how do I see incarnation through the fog of tradition and the, and the fog of busyness and, you know, cards and presents and lights and, you know, all of that? And, and honestly, it's going to take a choice. I, I, I can't, I wish I could just, you know, give you, say, hey, just take these and, you know, we come. No, honestly, it's got to be the power of the Holy Spirit but we have our, our responsibility as well. And that's really what we're talking about as we're going to be moving forward is in Philippians 2, 12 to 13, we're going to see that there's man's responsibility and God's resources. Those two. We're 100% responsible, but we're also 100% dependent on God's resources. So responsibility and resources as we move forward. And again, if you tie this to incarnation, which the apostle Paul does, I believe, and, and you know, as I've had opportunity, and of course, you know, maybe I have a little bit of advantage because I have to study this all week and ponder it, and so you know, uh, I get to do this. Um, but it's still challenging with all that's going on in my life. Uh, if you will connect the two, I believe that this Christmas season could really, really be an incredible opportunity for you to further your sanctification and really come January and be like, wow, that was an incredible December. That was that was just phenomenal. So Philippians two twelve to thirteen says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, now remember, this is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the believers in the city of Philippi, the Philippians. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So again, you've heard me say this before, when you're reading scripture, if you ever come to the word therefore, you should stop and ask yourself what it's there for, right? So therefore connects what he's saying here in 12 and 13 to the verses immediately preceding, really one through 11. So there's a connection. So you can't just take this out of context and say, okay, this isn't, no, he says therefore. So based on what I just said, in 1 through 11, particularly in 5, what we just read, 5 to 11, based on what I just said, here's what you need to do. It's an, it's, it's, you, you have to really stop even and go, okay, wait, did I even get what he said in 5 to 11? Have I digested that? Have I pondered it? Have I, have I let it sink in? Because this, therefore, is based on it, right? You, we, you remember, this is a letter. This is a real-life letter, so he's connecting Things And oftentimes, if we're not careful, in our Bible study, we memorize verses. Nothing wrong with memorizing verses unless you're doing it out of context. Unless you're just kind of picking and choosing your favorites and they're not connecting it to the passage before or after. And you're, you know what I'm saying? You're, you, nothing wrong with that as long as you understand context. So to understand 12 and 13 fully, you have to really digest the context of 1 through 11. Because he says, therefore, based on the incarnation... Based on the incarnation, here's what you're supposed to do, okay? It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, 
So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we're going to really focus on verse 12. Because like I said, what he's talking about is man's responsibility, God's resources. Man's responsibility, God's resources. And what we're going to see, and this is where you've got to slow down long enough, because some of the things you're going to hear, especially today when we talk about this word obedience, it's such a churchy word that I'm guessing some of us, when I say, oh, we're going to be talking about obedience, you're like, oh, yeah, I know. I know that, right? Just do what God says so he doesn't get mad at you, right? Is that biblical obedience, really? Because, again, I think sometimes we carry over things into our walk with the Lord that necessarily aren't, aren't rooted in Scripture and an accurate understanding. And, in fact, these two verses are so key. You know, if you ever wanted memory verses, Philippians 2, 12, and 13, phenomenal verses, Every day. You can get up. You'll see in a little bit. These are vision verses, life verses. Incredible. If you want two verses, I would say here for, for your faith, right? Foundational. Because what we're going to see is that your walk with Jesus is truly rooted in a supernatural relationship. It's a relationship. And, and what we're about to see is this is what separates Christianity from good religion and good ethics. What you're about to see. But to say what... You, Obedience? What do you mean? Because still a lot of us see obedience as good moral, good morals, and good ethics, and being a better person than I was. And that, you're missing it. If, if that's your view of Christianity and your view of obedience, primarily being morality, ethics, and works as the foundation of why you're obeying, you've already kind of gone down the wrong path. And that's, that's why he ties it into the verses preceding 5 through 11. But we're going to see that because this, again, if you understand biblical obedience and what he's saying here, you'll understand how different and distinct Christianity is from a lot of the works-based religions of the world. It's radically different. It's radically different, okay? So in Philippians 2, 12 to 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? Now, he ties it to Jesus, right? Jesus' incarnation. First John 2, he says this. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. All right, so how did Jesus? Well, he goes right back to 5 to 11. He came. He emptied himself, right? And then in verse 5 of that passage, it says, he ties obedience to love. And we're going to see that the heart of obedience as a believer is love. It's really love. And this is what sets us apart. Okay? And he says, he says, as you have always obeyed. So the Apostle Paul starts with this encouragement. Hey, Philippians, as you've always obeyed. He, he gives them a thumbs up on their obedience. Okay? So he starts very affirming. Their past record is a, is a good record of obedience. He says, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. So suddenly he goes, okay, hey, good job. Good job of obedience. But here's the deal. 
You should be obeying even when you're not with me. Much more in my absence. And again, so now we start to go into, okay, wait, what's my motive for obedience? Why do you obey? Why do I obey? Is it man-pleasing? Is it image? Is it a Sunday thing? Our obedience, right? And, and he's saying, hey, you know what? It should, it should be who you are. Not only when I'm with you, but much more in my absence. Your obedience, you know, there's that book out there. Many of you may be familiar with You know, who are you when no one's looking? That's an obedience challenge. It's integrity, right? It's integrity. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul is writing to, to believing slaves, and this is what he says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time. Here's the key, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for the people. So again, in this passage, I love this passage because obedience is a heart issue. Obedience is not an image and for show. Obedience isn't conditioned on who you're around. Obedience is a vertical issue. You're serving Christ all the time, right? And so as we begin to look at this issue of biblical obedience and the heart of obedience, question right off the bat is, how consistent are you in your obedience? Are you like a chameleon? Do you, do you kind of morph based on what crowd you're around? Right? Does your language change? Do your priorities change? Do your values change? Or, you know, are you, are you consistent in your walk with Jesus? Is there a consistency? Okay? Some quotes that I came across that, that really kind of help us to, to think about this, maybe in a fun way. Will Rogers says this, live in such a way that you would not be ashamed to sell your parrot to the town gossip. <laughs> ah, ah, yes. Yes, my mother-in-law has a parrot. Go down to San Diego every once in a while, right? Good. Yes, the good old parrot that listens and learns to speak what he hears over and over. Live in such a way that you would not be ashamed to sell your parrot to the Ojai gossip. Everyone's like, doop. For us parents, sometimes we forget that our kids are little listening machines. All right? So I was a youth pastor for 10, 15 years. And it was challenging. It was challenging to get teens to speak to them and to get them to want to follow Jesus when they would share with me what was going on Monday through Saturday in their house and what they were hearing as parrots in their house. Very challenging. Very, very challenging to try to get them to not focus on their parents and not use their parents as excuses and as justification for them not following Jesus. But, 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 this is what they say, and this is how they live, and this is what they do. And I'm like, I know, I know, I know, I know it's tough, because they come here at church on Sunday, and they smile, and, and they, they stand up, and they worship. And then when we go home, it's not, like, it's not like this. I'm like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But you can't look at them. And that was one of the, the, the most challenging parts for me as a youth pastor, was to try to, to separate what the kids were living with around parents who professed to be believers, but they, they, they saw it as teenagers. They saw the inconsistency, and it was really 
creating quite turmoil for them, right? And so we had to walk them through that. Paul Apple says this regarding parents. He says, the degree of obedience of the child is not determined by what the child does when the parent is present, but what he does when the parent is absent, right? And I've shared this with you before, again, coming from, from my youth ministry background and raising five kids. Sometimes, you know, we have to ask ourselves as parents, what's the motive? Is it fear or love? Right? If we try to motivate primarily by fear of punishment, okay, that might work to a certain point, but when does fear of punishment not work? When they no longer fear getting caught. So what's the higher motive? Love. Love. You want your, your students, we want people to, to honestly obey the Lord, walk with Jesus out of love, not out of fear, because I know me, and you know, and these, this, this whole message is challenging for me because, you know, I grew up pretty independent and, and not liking rules and people trying to be the boss of me and, you know, and, uh, you know, and so I, I get this and, and, you know, I can be pretty sneaky. And so once you ever vary, you know, you're not supposed to do something. Fear of punishment, right? You get caught. You ever figure it out so good that you know you're not going to get caught? Okay, you never did that. Yeah, because now you're lying. So now, now, <laughs> right? Okay, not non-berries here. How many of you have ever got to the place where you figured out and you believed you were not going to get caught? You outsmarted mom, dad, pol- you know, not police, but well, maybe police. <laughs> Teachers, right? You're just not going to get caught. A little cheating. Any, okay, how many, how many have ever cheated on a test? Thank you, elder body comb. You know? It, it didn't work because you, you just kind of got to the place where you believed you weren't going to get caught. So the fear motive was no longer a constraint. It was no longer enough to keep you in compliance. It was no longer compulsion because it, the fear was gone. Right, And so, again, sometimes as believers, we carry this idea that biblical obedience should be based on the fear, meaning scared, of God. And that's not really the heart of obedience. Because what happens as a believer, and this is weird how we think that we can do things and not get caught because God sees everything. But the crazy thing as believers, we think we can do things and God doesn't see it. Anyone? Uh, thank you, thank you, right? I don't know, how, how do we do that? How's that possible? Like, you've heard us like, God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's omniscient, and he's all-present. But even as believers, we think we're going to scam God. Like, I just do this, and I'll just do this. And somehow, deep in the recesses of our sinful mind, we're like, and God will never know. Like, wouldn't you, like, spiritualize at that moment? It's like... Hey, Barry, what are you doing? You're here? No, we're, we're, we're <laughs> like, but we go there. It's part of our sin nature, and it's part of, again, if we can shift away from fear as the primary motive to love, I think this Christmas can be an incredible transformation for you, right? John MacArthur says this, there is never a time when a true believer is not responsible to obey the Lord. Believers must never be primarily dependent on their pastor, teacher, Christian fellowship, or anyone else for their spiritual strength and growth. Their supreme example is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And their true power comes from the Holy Spirit. Believers, gratefully, are never without Christ's example and never without the Spirit's power. Amen? This is it. And again, you know, it's interesting. As a pastor, we, people honestly look at me and other pastors and elders as the spiritual popo. And, and it's very interesting in the years that, you know, people don't know what I do for a living, and then suddenly they find out what I do for a living, and it like... You know, I, my brother used to live in San Jose, and he likes to golf, and I golf every once in a while. So we go up to San Jose. He invites a friend, I think a co-worker, and five hours. If you ever golf, it's like four or five hours, and this guy's a hoot, and he's laughing, and he's cracking jokes, but never once does he ask me what I do for a living. So we spend four or five hours together, and he's just being him, right? And super nice guy. And then we go and we eat, and we're in line. See, where I forget where he went, and my brother's not around, and so finally his friend turns to me. He says, hey, by the way, what do you do for a living? And I told him what I do, and he he just stopped. And I knew he was recounting everything he had said to me the last four or five hours. (laughs) Every joke, every comment, would just, and he's like, oh, oh, that's good. That's, That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And it's just amazing that people do that. And, and I'm like, you know what? Just be you. I, this is what I do for a living. I get it, you know, and I appreciate the respect, and I appreciate that. I mean, I've literally had people come, you know, I show up somewhere and like, oh, the pastor's here. Shh, shh, shh. I'm like, really? Like God wasn't hearing what you were saying before I got here? I mean, like, it, but that's the human part of us, right? Our, our obedience. Oh, here comes the pastor. You know, and, and, and where does that come from? Like, I'm just telling you, it's, it's a heart issue. It's this, it's this thing that we grew up, you know, oh, there's mom and dad. There's mom and dad, right? Or there's the, there's, there's the teacher. Shh, the teacher's coming, right? And we bring that into our faith if we're not careful. We bring that into our faith. And so I want to look at this because he says for them to obey. And it's really interesting because I wonder how many of us believers ever actually looked at what the word obey means, because most of us, if I say obey, it just you're probably assuming, do what I told you to do. Kind of. There is that, right? But there's a heartbeat to it. The word obey in the original language means hear under. Okay? Hear under. That's what it literally means, to hear under. And what that means is it's placing oneself under, under what is heard and therefore submitting and obeying to what is heard. It's a voluntary submission, a voluntary response. So when Paul, the Apostle Paul says to obey, when the Bible says we're to obey, what it means is that we are to hear and voluntarily place ourselves under what is heard. You see the radical difference? It's a voluntary submission to what we hear. It's a voluntary response. We hear under. That radically changes your understanding, my understanding of obedience, because usually obedience is what? Compliance or compulsion out of fear of consequences or fear of you know something else. Compliance and compulsion when really... It's a change of heart where I'm going to hear something and I'm voluntarily going to place myself under what I hear and do what I need to in response. That's biblical obedience. That's incarnation. Jesus emptying himself. 
That's why he tied it back into Jesus' example. So if you're struggling with this idea of voluntary submission, hearing under the word of God, go back and read Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Over and over and over till the Holy Spirit pierces your heart with the reality of what Jesus did when he voluntarily submitted and became man and emptied himself, right? So in one sense, Jesus understood God's plan of salvation and he heard under, he said, okay, I will empty myself and I will become one of them. So if you and I are struggling, and this is, this is one of those, again, heart transformation, part of your sanctification moments, that quite honestly, it's a supernatural act. It's a supernatural act. And, and it's something that I need to continually be aware of because there's a part of me, like I was just raised, extremely independent, ton of freedom, pretty, pretty street smart, can finagle systems, can play people, manipulate. I can, you know, anything to get my way. This idea of hearing under, really challenging for me. In fact, that's what I shared with you before, why I was at UCLA and came this close to joining the Naval ROTC. But why couldn't I do it? Because I wasn't at a place at 2021 to hear under. I was not at a place to voluntarily submit to the military. And at least I was honest and said, nope, not going to do that right now. I still want to be large and in charge. I'm not ready to hear under for the next years of my life, being told what to do, right? So as believers, the heart of obedience is a love relationship with Jesus where we choose to hear under him. Radical change. In fact, I think a lot of us as believers, we've lost our joy, we've lost our enthusiasm, we've lost our passion for being new creations in Christ because our understanding of obedience slid into compliance and compulsion and not a change of heart where we want to do this, right? How many times have you heard us say, when we come, when we come to church on Sundays, it's not a have to, it's a, it's a want to, it's a get to, right? That's what we're hoping, that you come or you're tuning in right now because you want to. Well, that's a hearing under. It's a want to, right? God has touched your heart. He's under you understand the importance of this. So now you voluntarily submit to what he says we should do, which is gather. So you voluntarily give up X number of hours on a Sunday. You got dressed. You got in your car. You give up some gas. You give up time. You give up energy. You're all hearing under being here. Amen? You're already living this. In your faithful church attendance, whether here or online, This is the want to part. Now the question is, and we're going to look at this. What about the parts of my life where I don't want to? Is there, how many here, don't tell me, don't tell me what the area is, but how many of you have at least one area where you're kind of like this with God? Anyone? Right? I got a beautiful granddaughter. How old is she? Like nine months? Like nine months. And she's she's getting to that age where they're able to express what they don't want to or what they want, right? And I love children at that age because there's no filter, right? They just let you know when they're happy and when they're not happy, when they're hungry, right? They let you know. They want something, they just want it, and they'll go after and get it, right? And if they don't get it, ah, right? We're the ones that are really good 
at putting on the necessary front, but inside we're just like a two-year-old. You can't make me. You can't make me, God. You can't, right? But we come here, hey, Barry, how you doing? I'm good, bro. How's your walk with the Lord? Me and Jesus were like that, right? So we're really good at this, but deep down our heart is like, and so my prayer today is we're walking through the heart of obedience that maybe you'll take a little bit of time through incarnation, through Christmas and say, Lord, what's going on? What's going on? In Acts 12, they use the same word for obedience, but this might help you even understand it more. In Acts 12, Peter has supernaturally been released, or he guts out of jail, right, supernaturally, and he goes to a house and he knocks on the door, right? Acts 12 says this. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He, this is Peter, he knocked at the door and the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. So when he says he knocked and she came to open it, that's the same word as obedience. You hear and you respond. That's obedience. You heard a knock. The doorkeeper is supposed to what? Go open the door. They don't even think about it. That's my job. Knock. Who is it? Right? Rhoda goes and answers it. This same word picture. Okay? James 1.22. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Right? In another version, it says, don't be deceived. What that really means is you're deluded. And you've heard me share this verse over the last 10, 11 years with you, uh, we're not just supposed to come and hear a sermon and call it good. The Bible says if you're hearing God's word, whether it's here on a Sunday, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Bible studies, and things, if you're just hearing it and you're calling it good, the Bible says you're deluded. You're fooling yourself. You're supposed to be doing it. Right? Hearing, under. Hear it, Respond. So that's why even in the notes, right, the last point on the sermon notes is like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I've shared with you before, the challenge with me and my role here is that every Sunday I'm supposed to give you something new. You're supposed to keep going through Philippians when in the back of my mind I'm like, okay, what'd you do with last Sunday's? That's the question I would almost like to start with and have small group sharing. (laughs) What did you do with last Sunday's? Because I'm, I'm always careful because I'm like, I don't want to just give you information. And then at the end of the sermon, we say, ready, break. And we go for a week and we're left deceived and deluded that we did what we were supposed to do because we heard a good sermon. That's not really obedience. That's not really what we're called to do. Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? So question, before we move on, is there something the Lord through the Holy Spirit is knocking, and you know it, and you've been struggling? You, you know what you're supposed to be doing, but you just don't want to open the door. The question is, why not? What's going on? Why won't you just open the door? That's biblical obedience. It's really hard. It's not compliance. It's not compulsion. It's a changed heart of love. But this morning, is the Holy Spirit through God's word been knocking on something? Maybe it's a relationship that needs to be reconciled. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's what comes out of your mouth. Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's stewardship of resources. I don't know. 
Where is he knocking? Maybe just today, on November 28th, the first, the first Sunday of Advent, you know, you could have a radical change right now, and all you got to do is do something crazy, open the door. You just got to make the choice to get up and open the door of your heart and do what he says. Here under. Your life can change that fast. That fast. And then what will happen? The glorious thing is you get into the habit of hearing and opening. Hearing. What do you say, Holy Spirit? Oh, man, yeah, I got it. I got it. Okay. And you open and you begin the process. It's a process. Opening the doors, beginning the process of sanctification in that area. But many of us, as believers, we've kind of gotten used to not opening the door. I mean, sometimes I don't open the door when people come to my house on a Saturday morning. Shh. They're gone. I used to check the people, now I check my ring. Okay, got the camera, right? But it's weird, because like we can get into this habit of not answering the door in our life, and then spiritually we can get in the same habit. Holy Spirit comes knocking. Is he gone? I think he's gone. Right? And you wonder, I mean, but this is God's crazy love for you, is he won't let you off the hook. He'll come tomorrow. And the next day, because he loves you, amen? He wants you to be more like Christ. All you got to do is open the door and say, okay, Lord, the door's open. Show me the first step. Just show me the first step of how to reconcile this. Show me the first step of dealing with my pride. Show me the first step of dealing with what comes out of my... Just show me the first step. But the victory was you opened the door. You heard under that's the heart of biblical obedience, okay? Now, it says, then he says in, in, 12, 13, in verse 12, work out your salvation. Now, super important, many of you know this. He says, work out, not work for. Okay, so everyone say, out, not for. Okay, so he says, work out your salvation. This is not, not, not a works salvation message. He says, work out your salvation. Extremely important, okay? Uh, in fact, just some verses so you know that as believers, it's not works. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, okay? He's not talking about earning salvation. Galatians two sixteen. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law, and we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Amen? Okay, so just want to be crystal clear. Verse 12 is not a works for, it's a working out. What does that mean? When he says work out your salvation, what he's talking about is bringing it to completion. Okay, some word pictures that, that refer to to the uh, original language. First one is, is a mine. It's like a gold mine. You already possess the mine. Okay? The point is that if I possess the mine, I want to get all the gold. 
complete. I want all the gold out of that mine. Okay, that's a word picture. When he says, work out your salvation, he's like, you're a miner. You own the mine. Get all the gold out of it. Okay? Next word picture, same, related to the same word, is a field. You're a farmer. You got a field. Do everything you can to reap the biggest harvest in that field. Work hard. But you want the biggest part. You want to take full advantage of that field, right? I thought of this, and I think of that field over there by the mall, right? <laughs> you drive by, it's like they're always using that field for something, right? And I'm like, man, they have this down to a science. They grow something, they fill that field up, and then they turn it over, let it sit, do whatever they do. But that field seems like it's, right? Okay? They're working out that field. They're using it to its fullest potential. And then... Uh, the one that, that really is, is really, really direct in terms of working out, it means like a math problem. It means carrying out a math problem to conclusion. Okay? So what he's saying is it's a command, our lifelong vision as a believer. Okay? What gets you up in the morning, what gives you me and you purpose and meaning is that today, I want to take steps forward to work out being more like Jesus. Amen? That's what it means. Work out. For instance, today, how many of you, me included, how many of us woke up and said, today, Lord, I purpose to work out my salvation. Today, I want to take one, two, three steps forward in being more like Jesus. Or was it just another Sunday where we just were going to go to church and go to lunch and and be a good moral person, okay? These verses, that's why I said Philippians 2, 12, and 13 could be great life verses. You could read them every morning and be reminded that every day you work out your salvation. Every day you do something, right? Every day you want to get, you know, Mark, Mark one day, Mark's been encouraging me to go play pickleball, right? And, and I'm, I'm going to go. I'm excited, but it's going to take practice, Right? I don't, I've never played, and he's played a little bit, but there's an intentionality. There's a choice. You get in your car. You go down to wherever we play, and you learn the basics, and you get better and better step at a time. Same thing in your faith when he says, work out your salvation. This is progressive sanctification. It gives you purpose and meaning every single day of your life on this planet, 24-7. Today, Father, I want to take one step to be more like Jesus in one area of my life. Amen? Now you have a reason. Now you have a reason. You have purpose. You have significance. When you put your head on the pillow, you can go, sweet. My words were better today. I, I wrote the letter of, you know, asking for forgiveness. There was reconciliation today. Suddenly, God's going to start showing you things. If you make yourself available to say, Lord, today I want to work out my salvation. Show me something today that I can do tangibly. He will show you. But be careful what you ask for because... <laughs> It may be writing that letter. It may be making that phone call. It may be cutting back on that habit. It may be, but that's, isn't that what we're supposed to be about? That's what gives us joy and enthusiasm and passion because we are becoming more and more like Jesus. We're working out our salvation every single day, 24, 7, 365, because we want to. We want to. That's the great crazy thing is that we want to. We want to. There's so many people, and I'm not even just talking in the church. I'm just talking in kind of society in general. They have no vision. They have no vision. They just settled. 
They're just settling. They have no vision. They have no purpose. And they're just kind of existing. They have no vision. We, as believers, can have a great vision. And what's the great vision? Every day I want to take a baby step to be more like Jesus. And then one day you look back and go, whoa. Wow. But it's one step at a time. It's just one step at a time. And he says, do it with fear and trembling. That is not being scared to death of God. That's not what, when he says, do it with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. It means that I have a healthy attitude that, Father, I know me. And if I'm not careful, I know that I can slide into the flesh real quick. So fear and trembling is that I know me and my weaknesses. And fear and trembling also means that I don't want to do anything to hurt you. My passion, I love you so much that I don't want anything in my life to be hurting you out of love, right? William Barclay says it really well. He says this. This is not the fear and trembling of the slave cringing before his master, nor fear and trembling at the prospect of punishment. It comes from two things. It comes first from a sense of our own creatureliness and our own powerlessness to deal with life triumphantly. That is to say, it is not the fear and trembling which drives us to hide from God, but rather the fear and trembling which drives us to seek God in the certainty that without his help, we cannot effectively face life. It comes second from a horror of grieving God. When we really love a person, we are not afraid of what he may do to us. We are afraid of what we may do to him. See, this is the heart of obedience. The power of loving God so much that I don't want to do anything to hurt you. Rather than, I better obey or he's going to be mad at me and punish me. But see, a lot of us, even in the church, we haven't taken the time to really ask ourselves, why do I obey? What is the heartbeat of obedience? And from honestly, honestly, a lot of us, it still might be compliance and compulsion and fear of consequences rather than just love. I think of the story in the Old Testament. Remember Joseph? He uh, goes through a series of challenges. He ends up in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife is chasing him, chasing him, chasing him, chasing him, and finally she corners him. And I love Joseph's response, right? Because it was all set up. They could have had their adulterous affair, and nobody would have known because Joseph was in charge, right? And it was all set up. And I love Joseph's response. He goes, how could I do this and sin against God? I love that verse. How could I do this and sin against God? Do you see that? On the human level, all set up. Get away with it. No one would ever know, right? But he says, how could I do this and sin against God? What an incredible heart of obedience. What a great man of integrity. What about us if we were to be having choices, in our life, throughout the day. And we're like, no, how could I do this and sin against God? Out of love, not compliance or compulsion. And this is where, again, you know, one of those messages, like Mark said last Sunday, it's so hard in the time we have on a one-off on a Sunday to get, you know, I wish I could just like, boom, boom, (laughs) love God, boom, you know, boom, right? I know it doesn't work that way because you're going to leave here and it's going to get real busy again. And you're going to get, life's just going to happen. I get that, right? Jesus says this in John 14, 15. If you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. Now, many of us actually misread that. More like, well, if you love me, you would obey me. Almost like this strange, conditional, weird thing, right? Well, if you love me, you'll obey me, right? You know what that really means if you flip that? It means that our obedience is a fruit of love. It's not a finger-wagging thing at all. If you love me, you'll obey me. It's not that at all. What Jesus is saying is, if you love me, you'll want to obey me. You just will. How many of you have ever loved someone and done something for them out of love? (laughs) Right? Now, how many of you, let's say, you know, Mark, you and Kathy, because you, you know, right? Wouldn't it be weird, like, Mark, if you love me, you'll get me a birthday gift. Here. Right? How many of that, that, that voice, and right, if you love me, you, you'll get me a birthday gift. How many of you, it takes the specialness off of that? You're like, oh, that's compulsion. That's conditional, right? It's just, but it's like, no, honey, I love you. Here's a gift. That's, the, that's what that verse is really saying. It's like, if you love God, your life will manifest obedience. You don't need the spiritual popo. You don't need the apostle Paul. You don't need me. You're just loving God. And it's really strange because, you know, uh, again, my friends and my family, I know that part of them are like, I can't believe you do what you do because they know me from, from my past and my, my rebelliousness and my independence and like now you're doing this for God and you do and I'm like yeah I know it's kind of crazy and it's almost hard for me to explain other than you know when I was when I was a young believer and I was coming to faith and people would share faith and I'm trying to figure out Jesus and all this kind of stuff I was led to some some scripture and some resources that talked about the incarnation talked about Jesus being either Lord liar or lunatic right we talked about that And when I settled the issue of who Jesus was and the basis of God's love for me in sending Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fills our heart with God's love, right? And when the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart and filled my heart with God's love for me, I kind of just did one of these moments. And yeah, why do I do what I do? Well, I just love God. I don't do it perfectly. I can't, oh, I don't, it's nothing to really overthink. God just touched my heart. I get his love for me. His love for me created just incredible love for him, and I thought I was going to go to law school. I came to ministry, and this is what I do, and all the challenges that come with it, I get it. I just love God. And then just in my personal life, why do I do what I do? I just love God. I mean, and I had to work through fear and compulsion and compliance and all this because I was a very much performance-driven student, got good grades, went to UCLA law. I, I, I get the whole performancey thing. I get conditional love. I get conditional acceptance. I had to sort through all of that stuff in my own upbringing, in my own headspace, and I had to kind of wrestle with it and just come to the, just the bare bones truth. God loves me by his grace. He just loves me. And then I had to wrestle with the truth that when I received Jesus as my, my Lord and Savior, that I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that right now he's pleased with me and he's pleased with you. Just as you sit here, he's 100% pleased with you because he sees Jesus, amen? He's pleased with you. 
And all of that, somehow in my heart just says, I just want to love God. I don't do it perfectly, and I stumble and bumble around, and I still got my issues and my moments, right? But these have become less and less over the time. You know, more. It's, you know, some of them are like this now. Some of them are like this. Some of them are still pretty much like this, you know. But the ones, and I'm working through it because at least now, you know, because I love the Lord, I ask him to show me these. And so I work through, my first step is show me this. And, and sometimes this is um, fear-driven, a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And so sometimes I've learned that the areas that I struggle in obedience with the Lord is because I'm like this, because I'm really trying to protect myself. And, and there's deep wounds and there's deep trauma and stuff in my life where as I'm allowing God to heal that, this more and more goes like this. So I recognize it's not just pride and, and selfish desire. Sometimes in your life and in my life, it might just be wounds. And we're a little bit leery of doing this because we've been hurt before. And this is not defiance, it's protection. And so I just want to encourage you. I'm there. I get it. I get it. Okay. And so that's why I just wanted to share today. We're going to, we're going to pick up verse 13 um, next week, and we're going to look more, more at this idea of, of working out our salvation because it says it's God who works in us. And I just want to share with you a couple of words of encouragement. Um, when you come to faith in Jesus, the Bible says that you're born again. Right? Remember Jesus with Nicodemus? He says, you must be born again. One of those kind of cliche words. Well, it's actually a spiritual truth. Ephesians 2 says that you were spiritually dead. And you put your faith in Jesus, you're now spiritually alive. You're born again. Right? There's a, a word called regeneration, which means you've been given new spiritual life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I've shared with you before, when it says new creation, it means never existed before. Brand spanking new. It's a brand new car model. It's not a re, it's not a re new version of the old one last year's model. No, this, is, this model has never existed. It was a concept, and now it's never existed before. So when you put your faith in Jesus, you're brand new. Amen? You're not a better version of the old. You are brand new spiritually. You've been given the Holy Spirit. And as part of the new covenant, what happens in Ezekiel, it says this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, this is one of those supernatural, I mean, it's just a mind blower. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're born again. You've been given a new heart. He literally supernaturally changes your heart. And I often ask you this, how many of you, to you right now, honest, if you're honest, it's a miracle you're sitting in a church this morning based on your history. How many of you before you would never ever thought that you would even want to be in church, let alone read the Bible, want anything to do with God, right? So you're here. Why are you here? Because he's changed your heart. If you want evidence in your own life that God is supernaturally already touched you, you're here. And you want to worship, and you want to read the Bible, and you want the things of the Lord. Amen? Who did that? God. God. 
That's part of being born again. That's part of regeneration. Now, we're all in levels of sanctification, and some of us, you know, we're babies. Some of us have been walking. It it's a, doesn't matter. We're all born again. Amen? We're all children of God in sanctification. And I just want to share with you, again, this is the heart of obedience. Obedience to, with the Lord and why we follow Jesus is just love. Now, when, you, when I'm disobedient, the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. There's conviction, right? And we have consequences. It doesn't mean there's no consequences, right? But the heartbeat of why you and I should be working out our salvation, love. Because he loved us first. In the incarnation, in sending Jesus, and then Jesus going to the cross. It's all love. And in response to that, this is what sets Christianity apart. In response to God's love, I respond in faith. He fills my heart with his love and a new nature. Now I just want to love him. Now the, the world might call that obedience. I just call it love. <laughs> it's just wanting to please him because I love him. It's choosing this because that honors him and glorifies him. And it's choosing not to do that because that would hurt him. Love, relationship. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us like you do. And Father, now I just want to pause and uh, give you time. Biblical obedience is hearing and opening the door. And I don't know everyone here and where they are with you and at home. You do. There's nothing hidden from your sight. And so, Father, I'm going to ask, before Mark comes up and leads us into communion, I'm going to ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, would only do what you can do supernaturally, and that's to knock on our hearts. If you're here and you understand now God's love may be more clear, you understand grace, you understand it's not by works, maybe today you would open your door to Jesus. Salvation. Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, so maybe in the best way you know how, you talk to God in your heart. You say, dear God, I get it. It's not by works. It's by grace, and it's a gift. So, Father, in the best way I know how, you're knocking and I'm opening. Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. Believe. Came to earth. You were crucified. You died. You rose from the dead. You are the Lamb of God. I trust you, and the best way I know how I'm just trusting you for salvation, my Savior. Thank you, Jesus. And maybe you're a believer, and Holy Spirit's been knocking on your heart quite a while in an area or areas. And maybe you've been resistant because obedience has been compulsion and compliance, and that just pushes your buttons. You don't like being told what to do. But maybe this morning, you understand that opening the door is love. That you want to open the door. You choose to open the door because you love the Lord. It's just love. So Father, forgive us for our rebellion and our hard-heartedness in these areas. Father, help us to open the door.
and then show us the steps we need to take. Why? Because we love you. Because we love you. Thank you for loving us first. Um, the next announcement is about the upcoming family movie event. And we have a special guest. Good morning. I have a special announcement for each of you. Last week there was some confusion because I held up a little shape and some of you in the back couldn't see, so I thought this would be a little bit more appropriate because this upcoming Saturday we are having a family movie matinee for all of our church family, kids all the way up to 190. So all of you are invited. We'd love for you guys to join us. And the movie is called The the star. So come join us, everybody, this Saturday here at the well at 2 p.m. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to have some light refreshments and some crafts and our movies. So we hope that you will join us. And uh, if you guys would like to support this costume, you are welcome to. All right. Thank you. And next we have Diana. Good morning, everybody. Hope you all had a nice Thanksgiving. I'm standing up here with this, we call it an angel tree, and the reason being is that it represents the angel tree ministry, which is sponsored by Prison Fellowship. The purpose of it is to um, give gifts to children of those who are incarcerated. So this tree will be out by the welcome cart this morning. And if you are interested, you can pick an angel, and on the tag, it has the name of a child and the age of it, the child, and also the gift that they desire. Um, at the same time, if you pick a tag, we ask that you sign your name next to the name of the child along with your telephone number so we can get in touch with you if needed. Uh, we ask that the gifts be delivered back by December the 19th so that they can be delivered to the child and it should also be wrapped. So again, we hope you'll participate and give eight children in the valley a wonderful Christmas. Thank you, Diana. Uh, again, just what a wonderful opportunity to just share, you know, to be giving, and I encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, so the next one has to do with the women's uh, ministry Christmas brunch, and normally it would be my lovely wife who would be making this announcement, but like I said, she's home with a sore throat. So I was trying to think about how to do my best Kathy impression, <laughs> and I decided not to do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Ernie, I think, kind of clued in, like, don't go there, don't go there, Mark, because <laughs> you know? I got to go home. So honey, I'm, I'm like, really, I'm not going to do it. So, uh, <laughs> so, but I am going to announce the Christmas brunch. So ladies, this is for all the ladies um, that uh, there is a brunch. It is on December 11th. It is at 10 a.m. It is here. Lots of wonderful things going to happen. Wonderful food. Ladies like do food like they, to die for. So it's going to be a wonderful brunch. There's going to be a very special speaker, Carrie Cheney. She's going to be talking about um, a, you can actually see the trailer online right now, just a very cool um, Christmas video that um, she and Yarrow produced and have um, 
marketed. It's like going mainstream. There's going to be uh, crafts that take place, and uh, you've heard a little bit more about that, and I'm sure you will next week. And there's also going to be a cookie exchange, and that's kind of the focus this week. So this means baking or making or buying or whatever a dozen cookies to come, and then somehow you get to, like, um, take you know, put them all out, and you go around, and you take cookies, and you go home with a dozen cookies if you bring a dozen cookies. So we have a little a video that is going to kind of show you a little bit about how this works. that look easy? <laughs> that is like, I so couldn't do that. But ladies, put on your aprons, bake your cookies, or make your cookies, buy your cookies, and come on December 11th to the, uh, the wonderful brunch.